on our second episode of Ready to Launch, a podcast about entrepreneurship in MENA. My co-host, Marissa Khurma and I, spoke with Fuad Jirius, another serial entrepreneur in Jordan. Fuad shared his story of self, how his father's experience shaped his thinking about taking risks and starting his own business. A journey he started in high school and pressed on in spite of the challenges along the way. In Fuad's own words, quote, you only learn from failures, unquote, and learn he did. Fuad's experience in starting Cash Basha, an e-commerce technology company, and then applying lessons learned from that to Maqsam, a cloud telephony solutions for SMEs, which he co-founded with his partner, Sinan Taifur truly represents the quintessential entrepreneurial process of trial and error. Tune in and learn more about Fuad's story and his before-you-launch words of wisdom on doing business in MENA. Welcome to the second episode of Ready to Launch Entrepreneurship in the MENA region, a joint series between Riada, a Wilson Center podcast, and the Straight Up Startup in Amman, Jordan. I'm your co-host, Marissa Khurma, and director of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center. We're delighted to be speaking with a young entrepreneur from Jordan, Fuad Reyes, the co-founder and director of business at Maqsam, MENA's friendliest cloud communication suite for small and medium enterprises. Fuad has tons of experience and a number of innovative ventures between the United States and the MENA region, particularly in Jordan, and he's also consulted with top-tier tech companies, including Google, Yahoo, and many others. Fuad, it's a pleasure to host you here today. Tell us more about your entrepreneurial journey. Um, I think I want to know why you decided to become an entrepreneur in the first place, and how did you get to where you are today with Maqsam? Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me, Marissa. Uh, it's great to be here and uh, kind of share parts of my story with you in the audience. Um, so if I were to go back to the exact event, I would say where I wanted to actually start my own company and where I found motivation or desire to do this is actually when I was quite young. Uh, so I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my father is a biomedical engineer, very hardworking guy, a tinkerer, technology enthusiast himself. We had a workshop at home that uh, you know gave me first exposure to technology and the wonders of technology very early on in my life. And one day in the early 90s, while the economic recession was happening in the States. A lot of people were actually losing their jobs and it was a very tough time for, for some people, including my family. So uh, in my mind, it's etched as a very cinematic uh, type of uh, event that happened. My father comes home one day, opens up the door, comes through, and I'm on the other side of the living room running to towards him, you know, to give him a big hug. And, uh, you know, after that uh, warm big hug, he puts me down. He says, well, I have to tell you something. I lost my job today. And that was a very big um, shock to me because in the world of nice. a five or six years old, six year old kid, um, you're shocked by it because you think that you know there's no way you don't even think there's an option for a father not to have a job, for example. Right. Uh, and this is how the world was shaped. You know, the fathers worked, sometimes moms worked, or sometimes they stayed at home. Uh, and uh, that was the point where I realized, you know, there's something weird here. I know a lot of people have their own businesses and are very successful. My grandmother, for example, was an entrepreneur. My uncles were very successful entrepreneurs. And I wondered why it wasn't the same for my father and why he wasn't, uh, you know, in charge of his own career, uh, so to speak. And so that was the point where I wanted to kind of be my own uh, person. And also because he was a tinkerer and he would 
you know, built circuit boards in his workshop and uh, really exposed me to programming at a very young age. I really wanted to build things as well. And that was the main point of, of how I, uh, I drove towards that. So that was basically a defining moment for you, just seeing how your father lost his job. Um, did he pursue an entrepreneurial project that inspired you to follow um, basically in his footsteps? So uh, he was an extremely inspiring you know, person to me and, uh, and really uh, this uh, later on a consulting business uh, called the JC Group very near the United when things were actually tough. Uh, but uh, for me, I kind of uh, looked towards other people uh, you know, who are around me who were just doing uh, uh, a lot with, with their careers and, and, um, and in the technology space in, in particular. Um, during my high school years, for example, or my, even my school years, because I had access to a lot of technology in the environment at home, I had an access to a CD burner, for example, and high-speed internet before anyone else. And so I started, you know, uh, uh, burning CDs for my friends and selling them to them, uh, you know, in school. And uh, that became a nice uh, small business for a little kid in the uh, you know, fifth or sixth grade. My brother actually, you know, came in as the, to the project and uh, it was a, a great time for me. And I got bitten by the bug and I said, no, you know what, I, I can actually do this and I can actually make my own money and I can actually, you know, uh, uh, learn how to, how to uh, convince people to, to like my product versus going for something that's already in the, in the market. And then when I got to high school, I started doing uh, some jackets, varsity jackets jackets for, uh, for kids at school and, and things of that nature. So when I got to college uh, afterwards, I went back to the States. Uh, I was very lucky to uh, get a scholarship and go back to the States, went back to Boston. And uh, I started really dabbling into a lot more serious uh, attempts to uh, start a larger business at the time. And, and uh, I really found myself uh, and, and found purpose in actually wanting to build uh, things. I later on learned that you know, my motives might have been different or I just matured in terms of uh, how I wanted to start these businesses and, and, and why I, I, uh, I wanted to start the business um, you know, very early on because times were tough at, at home. Uh, I wanted to start a business because I wanted prosperity. I wanted financial prosperity and, and, uh, and, and comfort for my parents. Uh, because there was a lot of hardships uh, for, for a very long time. And today it's quite different. Today it's much more that I actually want to be the best of my craft. I want to uh, be significant in society. I want to be able to um, bring people together. And um, there's a lot more value I find in that today than, than I did a long time ago. Yeah, that's that's really wonderful. Um, I, I, I assume that because you tried so many different entrepreneurial projects, that the, a lot of it was trial and error. Tell us a little bit about that. Did you fail at some of these ventures, um, adventures? What did that feel like? And how did you move forward to get to Maksam, where you are today? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, uh, you only learn from your failures. You learn nothing from success most of the time. Uh, success is great, but uh, really um, just, you know, the world will, will put you in positions where you need to kind of deal with a situation that you don't know uh, how to deal with. And, um, you know, I was I was a uh, great student in school. I did well in college as well. I started, you know, all these entrepreneurial projects. So I thought I was a golden child, you know, somehow. Uh, and, uh, you know, your, your head can really uh, get a little bit bigger uh, in that position. But uh, once you hit your first failure, it can be daunting because um, you uh, you feel like you've you've done something wrong. You feel like you failed yourself, not just the people around you or the people who invested in you. Or, or, or yeah, it's what, personal. What it's it's a personal uh, uh, problem that you have to deal with, and um, I went to a very dark place, quite honestly. I mean, I, th I think if you were to ask me what's uh, the most challenging thing throughout my entrepreneurial career that I had to deal with. Um, Internally, uh, me and myself and trying to get through these emotions that I had to deal with personally and, and psychologically of having to deal with failure. But most of the time you realize that even through 
depression or through uh, some of the uh, the hardships that you can go through is that uh, pain is often uh, uh, growth uh, that is just disguised and framed differently. Uh, and so um, at the end of the day, you have to kind of uh, level with yourself and realize what are your real goals and what are your motives. And that's where I realized that my purpose has changed and I need to become much more comfortable with this new purpose that I have and uh, and uh, and everything else will follow through if you do the right things at the right time. So um, there were uh, positions where I was in with uh, another business, our previous business, uh, uh, Cash Basha did very well. Uh, it's still around and uh, still does very well, but uh, we did come to a point where uh, you know there was regulation that uh, denied us to actually grow the business further. For example, so it was an external um, uh, hit that we had to take. Uh, you know, and we lost about seventy percent of our business within the course of a few months, uh, which was which was uh, quite daunting uh, for us. At the time, it was a business that was recognized as an award-winning business, uh, the top business in the MENA region. We won a huge award out of thousands of companies, did very well there. Uh, but uh, you know, sometimes you have to deal with situations, and those are the ones that, uh, that make you much, much, much stronger, I would say. Well, thank you for that. I really want to uh, zoom into Cash Basha because you talked about a regulatory issue that basically prevented you from growth. So first of all, what is Cash Basha, and what was that regulation, and was it registered in Jordan? Uh, so cash bash is the most seamless way for people in the Middle East or the underserved markets to be able to shop on international e-commerce websites that aren't serving their own country. So specifically Amazon, eBay, and the big players that uh, we all uh, enjoy and, and uh, have a thirst for shopping with, with all the great deals that are on there. Um, it's often that most people don't realize that uh, they don't service the third world countries. Uh, this is because of multiple uh, reasons. First of all, 80% of the population in the Arab world, believe it or not, are unbanked or underbanked, meaning they don't have access to financial facilities that actually can be used online or they don't even trust uh, putting their credit cards online if they even if they could uh, on the other front is that logistically there are a lot of um, yeah, problems a lot of borders a lot of uh, um, uh, you know uh, unknowns in terms of uh, customs uh, that uh, that uh, hit you and kind of ruin the process of a seamless interaction that Amazon wants to be able to service to a lot of the uh, the customers that they have and then thirdly they have to have uh, customer service set up locally to be able to service the customers in which they don't and so what we did as a uh, Technologist uh, Sinan Tefour, uh, my my co-founder and, uh, and uh, you know longtime friend of ten years, we've been doing projects together for over ten years now. Uh, we put together a number of different uh, technology solutions in payments, logistics customs clearance estimations, and also customer service that made this a completely seamless end-to-end -end, uh, process for people in the underserved countries that took their preferences in terms of payment, uh, their preferences in terms of uh, customer service locally in their own language, and full clarity and transparency in terms of the pricing of the uh, the service to their uh, to, to the to the end customer's door. And so once we were able to solve those, we were 10 times better than any other solution that required you to go through loops and hoops and getting you know uh, uh, e-commerce credit cards. Cards or or, uh, or prepaid cards and and different uh, shipping accounts that you have to deal with to kind of game the system to get an item to your doorstep, and so that business grew quite a bit uh, to the range of about eight tons a month worth of product uh, shipped into the region and the companies uh, the countries that we were serving, and um, you know within uh, a very short time, uh, unfortunately the uh, the uh, the customs regulation changed without prior notice, uh, and um, we uh, were. were 
quite taxed on, on, on a lot of the items that were supposed to come through without any customs charges to customers. And uh, we ended up paying, it ended up erasing, you know, about two years worth of, 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 uh, of, of profits that we had in, in, in a very short period of time. And so when we got to that point, uh, we uh, mustered through, we, we did a digital protest online uh, to be able to process, uh, protest these, these laws that were changing. Not that the regulation was actually happening. We don't have a problem with regulation happening. And uh, usually most countries here are quite reasonable. Most uh, uh, governments are quite reasonable with kind of consulting with the private sector to uh, make sure the regulations make sense. Uh, this wasn't the case, but uh, but um, the uh, thing that I wanted to mention here is that uh, we we uh, put out a digital campaign. We shut down our website for a few days and it was picked up by the media. We were very proud of this digital protest that we put together uh, because we thought that the way in which these uh, regulations were being executed on were a bit too abrupt. Uh, there should have been grace periods. There should have been uh, reasons you know, ways for us to be able to kind of deal with these and prepare for them properly. And so uh, these abrupt changes sometimes and the unpredictability in some of the laws that can happen um, uh, end up erasing a lot of the effort that is put in by small, medium-sized companies, which is which can be disappointing, but uh, it is a lesson that we learned uh, from. And, uh, you know, we implemented things very differently in, uh, in ventures to come. But uh, it's, uh, it was a great experience overall, and I don't uh, regret any any part of it. Thank you for sharing. This is really important because you not only, you know, dealt with the with the challenge as it came so abruptly, but you also, you know, an activist in the way that you responded to raise awareness about how this happened and why it should have happened differently if at all. And that is that is a really um, important step. Do you do you see similar challenges facing entrepreneurs in Jordan? or the region, specifically in Jordan, as they want to basically just kick off their own startups? I mean, what are the top challenges that you think most entrepreneurs are facing that were similar to yours? Well, generally speaking, this is a very fragmented region, right? And um, and uh, these challenges produce opportunities. And uh, that's why I think a lot of the uh, entrepreneurs in the region want to work in uh, the third world and want to build infrastructure where infrastructure isn't available. And that's one of the big challenges here. Um, first of all, in a very fragmented region where you have small markets, uh, some bigger markets, obviously in the GCC region, but uh, mostly com- uh, countries like Jordan are quite small. Um, uh, it's important for you to be able to think on how you can... Uh, use technology to erase borders and uh, being able to create opportunities in other markets that are uh, near to you or next to you uh, where uh, most of the uh, the uh, volume of activity is coming from. Uh, and so uh, that's one big challenge that uh, you have to realize almost in the first you know year of a business is that how can I uh, cater to the larger uh, customer bases in, in the different markets if uh, if obviously the opportunity you're after is uh, allowing for that. Uh, and is it easy to access uh, other markets? If you if you start looking outwards, is it easy to access other? It markets? really depends. It really depends on the uh, the opportunity that you're uh, that you're working for. So if you're a pure software company, most of the time it's easier because you don't have any tangible goods that you're sending around. If you're in e-commerce, it's much more difficult because you have to deal with the uh, physical uh, you know uh, logistics of sending products uh, around, and uh, as you can expect in customs and and servicing customers in different countries, uh, the, as you as, as you know. Um, but uh, but uh, really, it's the problem. Right, starts 
rising when you have to have a cost of um, setting up in every single market that you want to serve and registering every in any one of these countries. Uh, and so that has a whole uh, degree of you know visas that you have to get, uh, offices that you have to get, lo- local uh, uh, you know employees that you need to have on the ground over there. You start managing you know. Uh, so most companies in in the region are uh, multinational companies by by nature because of the nature of the region. Uh, almost in the first uh, few years of, uh, of of the business's uh, lifetime, but um, uh, it is it is quite expensive, um, especially if you want to serve the GCC region. But uh, for those who really invest early on, there's a lot uh, of benefit to be able to uh, to bring back into your uh, your own uh, your own company and, and and the value of the company that you built. So it is. It, 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 there's a moat that you can build by the yeah. you know diversifying your presence and being able to service more more countries, uh, but also it, it, you need to have a lot of experience to be able to do it the right way. And beyond you know accessing other markets, you just said something about you have to have a lot of experience. Do you think that another challenge is that others face is basically having mentorship or having other sort of capacity building support that they would need? Um, of course, the more mentors you have, the uh, the less mistakes that you make. And uh, mentors are something that we really invest in in time with our mentors. Uh, are really things that uh, um, are valuable that uh, can give you the shortcuts of uh, of not falling into uh, you know wasting money on certain things or uh, knowing which partners to have in different markets and, and what have you. So that uh, having mentor networks are very important. What we're seeing now is that uh, the first few generations of um, uh, early businessmen in the technology space that uh, you know I, I'm in have now graduated. Uh, sold their companies or exited their companies and now have enough uh, experience and time to either invest and uh, be able to um, you know, to to uh, you know disseminate that information or that those uh, the, 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 the those ways of, of of kind of speeding up your um, uh, speeding up the, the setup of all these their project right. uh, exactly uh, and so um, I think I think there there was a an area where there were growing pains with a lot of businesses and now we're getting out of that and seeing more of these businesses uh, prosper uh, especially um, you know much like you had the PayPal mafia in uh, in, in San Francisco. You know, a lot of those uh, people who were involved in PayPal when it exited went on to build uh, multi-billion and million-dollar businesses that are, are known uh, worldwide. Now we're seeing a lot of the um, the people who are working for uh, many companies who exited in the region start their own companies and then uh, flourish as well. Um, so there's a lot that you can learn by working with a startup uh, that's unlike a corporate company, uh, and then uh, a lot that you, you gain uh, as you start your own uh, companies and, and move forward. And these two experiences feed into each other. In fact, that was one of our findings in our ready-to-work report, that basically entrepreneurship is not a panacea to all of the region's problems when it comes to unemployment, but the experience itself of starting a business could actually empower you and give you the skills necessary to become a a better worker, uh, whether the private sector or even even the public sector. Uh, So that's a really, really good point. Fuad, uh, you mentioned the private sector and communication with the government, and um, that's a good sort of segue into the the next question about what you see the role of the government um, and the private sector to try to strengthen the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Jordan, but also in other countries in the region. 
there are many programs that are already um, uh, in place uh, in, in, uh, for, for Jordan in specific that uh, uh, promote people to either join startup companies or even get startup companies funded, uh, special programs to uh, employ particular skill sets uh, in Jordan. And, uh, you know, the government will actually uh, contribute uh, a, a portion of those uh, salaries or the compensations of those uh, employees. Um, and there's, there's a lot going on there. But if I were to choose one thing um, um, that would protect and also encourage more people to invest in any one of the, uh, the the countries here in the region or any third world country. It's, uh, first of all, clarity uh, in regulation, uh, clarity in um, uh, and stability in laws uh, and, and how they change. Uh, and so uh, that's why a lot of um, uh, countries, uh, you know, the GCC have adopted the free zone uh, type of uh, uh, setup where you have separate laws, separate uh, governing bodies that are uh, that are stable and very different from the actual mainland bodies uh, over there. And, uh, and that's something that I think uh, would be the number one thing that the, the governments can do to be fair, offer incentives, uh, but also provide uh, clarity in terms of the regulation. And that allows for business. The government's job is to business enablement, uh, not restriction, and uh, making sure that everybody gets a fair chance to be able to, uh, to, uh, to, to play and, and, and be able to, uh, uh, to, to start the business that they, that they dream of. There are a lot of growing uh, industries today that, uh, uh, you know, in, in fintech, for example, or uh, in cryptocurrencies that are denied in some countries over others. And uh, it's a disadvantage for uh, for smaller countries to adopt some of these larger and more ambitious um, um, uh, projects. Uh, and I think we lose those to, uh, to you know, other nations. Uh, and uh, it's important for us to kind of offer the, uh, the grounds in which we can be open, we can experiment, and we have a larger appetite for risk. I think if we can afford it, um, I mean, uh, you know, Jordan's a very small country. I'm speaking about the country I currently live in, but uh, but it's also a very ambitious uh, uh, market in, in, in many areas. And I think we can uh, definitely always do more. That's a really good point um, about um, how the government should be an enabler. Um, and you mentioned that there are many uh, people in the private sector sort of, you know, supporting all sorts of incubators and accelerators or other programs. But what else can the private sector do? to help the government, for example? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot uh, uh, that we can do. No, one thing for sure is that uh, innovation always uh, uh, beats uh, or is faster than uh, than regulation. And so if you take a look at uh, Uber in the States or Kareem or any one of these companies out there, um, a, a lot of these smaller companies are doing research and development or trying out new business models that uh, the government isn't aware of. And um, really what I think uh, we can do as, as companies is not just have um, focus groups, uh, or uh, or reach out to uh, our um, governors, ministers, uh, people who are in state uh, for, to be able to give them uh, ideas that we're doing. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of people shy away from that. So. Um, because you know some of the involvement that might happen uh, the other way around might kind of uh, stifle a lot of that innovation. But I think it's it's about us as smaller companies to kind of show the way of what can be done and how these ideas can be implemented in government. I think one of the very important things is uh, that you that you learn in a startup ecosystem, and we care about a lot at our, our companies, is uh, corporate culture. 
and uh, how corporate culture really changes uh, the way you learn, the way you act, the way you uh, even, um, 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 you know, are, 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 are mentally um, uh, uh, you know, dealing with yourself and, and how you, how, how you uh, execute on a lot of uh, the work that you do. Uh, and so uh, mental toughness, mental stability, mental, uh, uh, you know, comfort uh, is really important. Our psychological comfort is very important within the organization. And I think um, a lot of those systems aren't implemented that way inside uh, a lot of the governmental bodies uh, today. And so maybe it's about, yeah. uh, about us mostly kind of trying to find the uh, right formulas and be able to uh, carry those over into uh, the uh, governing bodies. And that's why it's so important to tell your story and share your experiences, whether through our podcast or other means um, as well. Um, and an excellent point on the corporate culture. There have been a number of studies by the Harvard Business School um, review that uh, really zoom into the importance of um, your institution's culture and what that looks like. Um, and uh, as you said, sort of. Um, investing in the people uh, as um, key to ensuring that your culture is open and that that you're building resilience also through the organization. So that's a really good point. So um, I'm going to um, basically now ask you for um, the before you launch words of wisdom. So any advice to budding or aspiring entrepreneurs in Jordan or the region from your own experience um there's uh, a lot uh, obviously uh, that that i've learned over the years but if i were to sum them up in in four main uh, points um that i usually use when i think about uh, you know entrepreneurship or, or any particular project number one is um look for patterns uh, really, there are patterns around where you want to be able to ride the wave of what's happening around you and where the opportunities lie. Uh, number two would be um, kind of um, uh, you know yeah you have to work like hell. Uh, this is a very tough job. It's not it's not something that everybody is set out to do. It comes with a lot of learning opportunities that are extremely valuable, but uh, you really do need to put in the work and you need to be focused. There are sacrifices that you won't expect, um, and uh, it's like uh, many other things in life where you th you know they're hard, but you don't know. How the type of difficulty you're going to face until you're in there. And then uh, learn from everyone. Number three is learn from everyone. Throughout my career and, and, and my life, I've learned from the most unexpected people, the most important lessons, uh, whether they're older than me, they came from different uh, you know, uh, backgrounds or what have you. You can learn something that you can implement in your life. Uh, that's, that's very, very important. Um, and um, I, I would say the last thing is that you have to realize that uh, um, you know, you are the marble and you are the sculptor, uh, really, in life. Uh, you will re come to a point where you can reinvent yourself. And it will happen through uh, sometimes painful moments, sometimes happy moments, sometimes creative moments. But um, you need to be comfortable with uh, becoming a different person and uh, being able to kind of take that on and, uh, and go down a very different path than uh, what you expected might turn out to be. Uh, and so uh, I think those are the, the four things that I would, uh, that would put together. Thank you so much, Fouad. Um, really uh, unique words of wisdom. And I particularly like the last one uh, because I see entrepreneurship as um, a journey in developing people. So it's, it's, it's very much about how um, 
you develop as a person and how you help others as well with with whatever startup or project um, you're launching. Uh, This was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and we hope to um, continue the discussion. Thank Thank you for having me. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Department of State.